the world may deny who you are and your truth, but I pray we would always seek to exalt you. Your love, vision, and victory that is in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, prompt us now to focus and open up our hearts to the word that we are about to receive. In your glorious name, amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, oh, everyone already knows my name. I was going to say that my name is Nathaniel, but everyone apparently knows that. So if I haven't met you yet, I'm part of the team here at BPCC, and I have the privilege of opening up God's Word for us today. Uh, we're going to be looking at the awesome words of Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, please turn to Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5. It'll be up on the screen as well. Reading from the ESV. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Let's pray before we uh, get into this text. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us here today. Thank you that we can come together and glorify you and worship you, Lord. Lord, thank you for the awesome Bible you've given us. Thank you that you've spoken uh, to people through, through your word, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'll, you'll guide me and guide me as I preach and, and uh, yeah, open up this passage, Lord, and that, Lord, you'll work in all of our hearts here, that uh, we'll go away from this morning not just with more information about, about this awesome passage, Lord, but uh, with you having worked in our hearts and changed and shaped us through your word. In your name, amen. Have you ever found yourself longing for a real lasting peace. I'm not sure if you've seen any of the the Marvel superhero movies in the last 10 years or so, but they all follow a fairly predictable storyline. Each one is essentially about a really overpowered hero beating up bad guys to save the world. They're good fun to watch. Uh, Each one's really interesting, great production, and I, I really enjoy them. But there's something about the Marvel movies which exhausts me every time. Because no matter how thoroughly the good guys win, there's always something ready to go wrong for the next movie. In every movie, things start out pretty good. Then the bad guy or problem turns up, things get bad, the good guys have an early win. But then something goes wrong, maybe someone betrays them or the bad guy has a secret weapon. 
Then the hero looks like he's going to lose, but a glimmer of hope appears. The good guys have a plan. They go for a last-ditch effort to win. There's a big battle and all seems lost again before the hero saves the day, beats the baddies, and it all seems great. There's cool music in the background. Things are happy and cheerful. It's probably a nice sunset. The movie ends on a good note. But then you stick around to watch the after credits and something else is just about to go wrong. Another enemy is rising up. Another challenge approaches. The big evil blue-purple monster guy is probably planning something else. A few months later, the next movie comes out and it all happens all over again. Something else goes wrong. Another villain rises up planning world conquest. Another army of aliens tries to conquer Earth. No matter how complete victory seems, it's never over. There's no lasting peace. There's always more conflict when the next movie comes out. And the same is true in the real world as well. Look at the world around us. We're constantly striving for peace, for a better world. But something also always goes wrong. A hundred years ago, it was 1918, much of the world was approaching the end of what was then known as the Great War. It was the war which would end all wars. It was the last war to fight. It was the final war. And then there would be peace. But we don't call it the Great War anymore. We call it World War I because a second one rolled around after that. And it was even worse than the first one was. World War II was six years of blood, murder, debauchery, cruelty and sacrifice which overshadowed the many horrors which we'd seen before. And even that wasn't the end, right? After World War II, there have been virtually constant conflicts going on. Vietnam, Korea, Afghanistan, Iraq. There have been so many conflicts and war keeps on raging on as we speak this morning. And this isn't just a bad patch in time either. As we go back through all of history, we've got constant warfare, constant conflict, injustice, oppression. And every now and again in one part of the world, a power rises up which seems to bring good rule, which seems to bring benevolence and hope. But they don't last. They soon fall. They're either crushed by other powers or corrupted from the inside, taken over by wicked leaders or slowly rotted as the leaders become used to their power and comfort. And on a personal level, it's the same. We push through hard times, looking forward to when things will be better. And often they do get better. Often these challenges do pass. But they never stay that way, right? Whether it's a day or a year, something else goes wrong. Some other challenge arises, and we can't remain at rest. We've got to get up and go face it. And these can come in all sorts of ways. Health issues can arise. You get a call from the doctor after a regular checkup or scan and he says, sorry, but I've got bad news. There's personal or family issues, relationship breakdowns, unexpected betrayals of trust that cause pain and conflict, work challenges. Maybe an issue comes up with a project or Rumour starts going around that staff cuts are on the way. And yet we're filled with this desire for peace. We yearn for rest. 
And we're left with the question, will we ever have the rest that we long for? Can we actually have hope or is that just a pipe dream? Well, back in the passage we read earlier, God himself gives us a promise that there will come a time when our yearning for true peace and true rest can be fulfilled. Here in Revelation 21, 1-5, God gives himself an exquisite snapshot of where our hope lies, of what is at the end of the struggles of life. And it is a beautiful picture. This passage comes at the end of the book of Revelation, uh, which is a book describing the turmoil and chaos of the world through history, describing the spiritual reality of the tumultuous battle that God fights to fix sin in the world and bring his people back to him. And then at the end of this book, we look to the future and we read Revelation 21, that, those awesome words there. And these are, these are verses which give us great comfort because as difficult and painful and confusing as this life is, we have hope. Hope that it will come to an end. God will recreate this world the way it was meant to be. And on that day, we will have rest and peace. True and proper rest. True and proper healing and comfort. When that day comes, all those who are God's people will have comfort in complete relationship with him. So in this passage, uh, we learn three important things about our eternal future. That it's God's place where God rules over and dwells with and comforts God's people. So let's take each of these three truths in turn. God's place where God lives with God's people. In verses 1 and 2, we see that God's place, our eternal home, is described as a new heaven and a new earth, and that it is given to us by God, coming down out of heaven from God. But what exactly is this new heaven and new earth? What is a new creation? What, is it, what does it look like? Well, first, let's talk about what it isn't. Because Christians often have some pretty different ideas of what life after death is like. So what do you picture when you think of life after death? What images come to mind? I've got here some some common images which might come into people's minds. Uh, The cartoon there says, we have another request for Stairway to Heaven. Does anyone have any other requests? Anything? And this is a pretty common way of seeing life after death in our culture, right? The standard sort of image is big golden gates leading into a golden city in the clouds where everyone's there and happy but we've kind of all got a harp and we're just, just sitting back chilling and playing harps. It's all glorious and everything, don't get me wrong, but that picture is, if I'm honest, a little bit boring. Like I, I for one, would lose interest pretty quickly, mainly because I have no musical ability. But, but this whole idea of spending eternity playing on harps in clouds isn't actually found anywhere in the Bible. The Bible just doesn't describe it this way. In fact, it's very different to what the Bible describes. These sorts of pictures are an idea which became popular through the Renaissance times when artists started creating magnificent paintings with these dramatic scenes which took some ideas out of the Bible but a lot of it was just a bit of uh, creative addition. 
And also, this new creation isn't just our current world with the bad bits removed, like how you take olives off pizza. The world is a broken creation. It's one which is shattered by sin and is now a dark and twisted reflection of what it was once meant to be, like pizza with olives on it. God won't just fix this world up and polish it back up again, but he will completely remake it back the way it was meant to be. This reminds me of uh, one time I fixed a bench grinder with my uncle, this big old Australian-made 50-year-old bench grinder. And when we fixed it, we pulled it completely apart. We, we polished up every single piece, got all the rust off it, everything, re-oiled it, new seals, everything together, and reassembled it with every single part fixed up again. Shiny and like new on the inside and on the outside. And that's what God's going to do with his new creation, with this world. So what is it actually going to be like to be there? What is God's place like? Well, the key difference between this world here and the new creation is this, that the recreated world will be free of the effects of sin which have broken this one. God made this world perfect, right? We read in in the start of Genesis that he made people to live in relationship with him, to worship him, to look after his creation while living in a close relationship with God himself. But when sin came into the world at Eden, that was broken. Death entered the world and pain and suffering and worst of all, separation from God. And this new creation will be where God remakes and restores his creation even better than it was before. When I think of eternity, I'm not thinking of a a Renaissance painting. I imagine an eternity which we spent doing the things which God has made us passionate about. What did God make you for? What gifts and passions has God given you? Which parts of his creation has God made you passionate about? In the new creation, these won't be taken away, but rather we will finally be able to use them to glorify God and delight in his creation. I personally look forward to wandering through nature, just soaking up the awesomeness of God's creation, exploring mountains and valleys and sitting beside rivers and soaking in the presence of God. One of my favourite things to do uh, to unwind is to go down to Bullocky's Rest. You guys know Bullocky's Rest down on Lake Samson Vale there. I go down in the evening with a devotion on my Bible and just spend time in that awesome, serene part of God's creation. Never a good thing when you lose your spot. I can't wait for the perfect creation that that's restored in. I can't wait for the perfect creation which cool, calm evenings at the end of really hot days down at Bullocky's Rest is fully perfected in. I look forward to spending time with other people who he's made me to be in community with. Spending time laughing and talking and fellowshipping with the people who I got to journey alongside with in this life. And making a lot of new friends as well. I look forward to celebrations of God's glory and quiet times in his presence. An eternity to make things 
to fashion objects, to craft and fix up things and carve things to glorify God. This new creation will have endless opportunity for invention, exploration, discovery, all done for God's glory. And I, for one, am really, really keen for that. So what passions and giftings has God given you? What will it be that you use to glorify him and explore the remade creation? And this doesn't just apply to the world around us, but to our bodies as well. Living in a real, physical, perfect world means that our bodies will also be remade the way they should have been. 2 Corinthians 5 is another passage which talks about this, and it says, We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on the heavenly bodies like new clothing. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We won't just be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and be rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. The broken bodies we have now They're just a broken reflection of the perfected bodies we will have in the new creation. I, for one, am very clear to have clear eyesight without needing these glasses. One day I'll just... The new creation will be one where we physically live in a physical world which is remade far better than it was before. C.S. Lewis is one of my favourite authors. He describes this in the last book of the Narnia series. Who, Who knows the Narnia series? I read them as a kid, lots of hands, awesome. I grew up listening to my parents read me uh, from the Narnia books almost every single evening. It was awesome, one of my my favourite memories. And in the last book of the Narnia series, The Last Battle, uh, Lewis ends it with a description of the new creation. And he writes, All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been a cover and title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read and which goes on forever in which every chapter is better than the one before. How awesome is that? And this isn't just a vague hope we have that you know, maybe, maybe everything will be good. Maybe God will do this. Verse five reads, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We don't have to worry about getting there and it all turning out to be not as great as we hoped. God's new creation won't be like the NBN, where we got big promises and have ended up with something that isn't really all that grand. No, we have the assurance of God himself that these words are true. Everything in the Bible is true and trustworthy, right? It's God-breathed and God-inspired, but we have an especially strong promise that we can be doubly sure of what awaits us for all of eternity if we have faith in Christ. Because that voice from the throne is the voice of God himself. While I get the privilege of, of preaching these words, Revelation 21, 1-5 isn't the words of a 21-year-old skinny white boy. They're the words of God himself. And that's an awesome comfort, hey? So this new creation is God's place. 
It will be a real and physical place, like this world, but free from the effects of sin, which sin has had. It'll be a place of perfect rest and restoration. And it's also a place where God dwells and rules in all of his fullness. This all sounds really great, right? But what will it be like to be there? What does it actually mean to be in the presence of God? Well, our world now is broken by the effects of sin and our relationship with our God has been broken as well. We're made to live in perfect relationship with God, but that's been shattered by the effects of sin in the world. And that relationship has been restored by what Jesus has done for us, partially restored now to be fully restored in the new creation. Colossians 1 verse 20 speaks about how Jesus' death has made us right with God. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Our broken relationship to God has been reconciled And in the new creation, it'll be fully restored to full relationship with God. And what does it mean to have perfect unity and relationship with God? Well, in this life, we've we've got a partially restored relationship with God, right? We now have God living and indwelling in us through the Holy Spirit. If you've put your faith in the work of Christ, then he, through the Holy Spirit, dwells in you. He guides and grows us to be more like Christ. But in the new creation, this will be completed. We will have complete unity with God himself. It will be a world of true joy, complete rest and perfect union with our creator. And in this new world, God himself wipes away our hurt and scars and the pain of this broken reality. The presence of God is one which brings healing and restoration to his people, fixing all the pains of life. Verse 4 reads, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Living in our world as it is now isn't easy. I've only been doing this whole life thing for 21 years and in that time the struggles I've come across are much less than what I know many of us here have faced. Earthly life has its upsides, right? But it's a tough challenge. And many of you here know that far more deeply than I do. But we have this hope of restoration in the perfect new creation. We will be united with God himself our perfect, loving Father. And when we get there, weary and hurting and dirty from the cares of life, he will tenderly take us. He will wipe away each one of our tears. He will clean our hearts of the pain of the journey we have travelled. He will heal our scars and he will remake us the way that he designed us to be. It will be the way that creation was meant to be at the beginning a place free from the effects of sin and totally under the direct 
reign and rule of God himself. So this new creation is God's place, where God rules. And who does he rule over? He rules over and he dwells with God's people. Now Nathaniel, you might be thinking, this all sounds good and nice and all, but where's the catch? A perfect, eternal existence like this earth, but without all the bad stuff, where I worship God with all that he has made me to love doing, it just sounds too good, right? There's got to be a catch. What do I need to do to get there? And if that's your thought, I definitely get where you are coming from. As a a very Dutch avid deal finder, I know that when you find a great deal, it's often way too good to be true. You need to look around a bit, check what's entailed, read the terms and conditions. Well, in this new creation, there is no catch. All of God's people will spend eternity in this new creation living the way that we were designed to. And how do you know if you're one of God's people? How do you get in? Well, the eligibility criteria for entry into God's kingdom is quite simple. Is your faith in Christ? If you have a real faith in the saving work of Jesus, then you will be a part of this recreation. As Romans famously says, if you profess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's why it's important to talk about this, to know where we are going and what it will be like. Because the life that we have here is incredibly short compared to the eternity which waits before us. There's an illustration I saw once uh, where a preacher takes a ball of string. He shows everyone this this big ball of string and then he holds the end and he throws it off the stage He gets someone from the crowd to roll it out of the door and and out of sight. And he tells everyone to imagine that this ball of string just keeps on going forever. It's got no end. And he says that this ball of string is like all of our existence. Then he holds up the end and gets the camera to zoom in. He shows everyone the very tip where the last couple of centimetres have been coloured in red. And he explains how This bit that's coloured in red represents our life on earth. We focus our lives here on earth so much we set goals to achieve and things to do and we make a huge deal of it. But rarely do we step back and look at all of it in perspective. We need to be able to stop and consider that in comparison to all of eternity, this bit is if we are saved, this bit is the worst part. This is the part to push through. This is the part which which kind of sucks. This is like the wrapper on a chocolate, which has its perks, but it's really nothing compared to what lies beneath. It only exists there. It's only there so you can relish what is past that thin layer. Our lives here are significant, don't get me wrong, but as we live and make decisions, we must remember that we will not stop existing when this body gives out. So what is worth living for? Where can we put our hope? What actually lasts? Career, money, fame, just chilling out, all of those things end eventually. So where can we put our hope? 
Because we as people, we like direction. We like to set our eyes on a finished target. We like to put our hope in something. As a uni student, every semester, I put a lot of hope in the time after the end of exams and before the start of the next semester when I can look forward to when they're just going to be over. I can be bogged down and struggling with assessments, quizzes, readings that I don't actually ever open, exams, but every semester I can look forward to when that's going to be over. And that's all good for the short term, right? That's all good for dealing with exam stress. But we do the same for all of life. We all put our hope somewhere. For some of us, it might be getting out of school, being free, finally being able to be our own person. For some of us, it might be finding the perfect relationship with that dream person. Or maybe it's reaching the apex of our career. When I get that that dream job, when I hold that position and have that salary, then I'll be happy. Or maybe you're just looking forward to retirement when those darn kids leave and you can finally have the house and just spend 20 years caravanning. All those things are good. But if you put your hope in them, they will let you down and they won't ever provide you with fulfilment. When you leave school, there are a lot of other challenges in life. If your hope is finding a perfect partner, you will be disappointed because no one's perfect. Careers always come to an end and there will always be a higher level to try and climb to. And often careers don't turn out the way that you were hoping. Sometimes they just suddenly come crashing down one day. I'm told that retiring and caravanning is great fun. I'm I'm pretty keen for it myself, but it's going to be a while. But as you do that, you have to deal with all the problems brought on by a decaying body. And all too soon, the caravanning days are over. And really, we've got all of eternity to do these things in a perfect creation, right? So what's worth putting your hope in? When we look at the big picture, it's clear that putting our hope in things which only last for this life isn't worthwhile. The only thing which has meaning for all of eternity is working to glorify God, which we can all do regardless of our occupation. It's our hope and our motivation and that shapes and changes our actions regardless of where we're working or what career we've got. So where is your hope? Is the goal of your living to get or achieve something which is going to pass away in time? Or are your eyes set on the new creation, a place where God's people will find rest and restoration in unity with him forever? And putting our hope in this life, not in this life, but in life to come, is what will make us the most effective here on earth as well. C.S. Lewis, again, is an awesome author. He wrote in his book, The Joyful Christian, he writes, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were precisely those who thought the most about the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. 
So set your eyes on the goal of eternal life, true life with Christ. This is our great hope. This is not the end point of our lives, but the point at which they will truly begin. And by seeing this big picture, we realise that the importance for living, of living for all of eternity. And with that motivation, our lives here will take on a whole new meaning. So let's get back to the question we asked right back at the start. Do we have hope for true, lasting peace? The answer of the Bible, the answer of this passage is yes. Yes, we do. We can have hope for the future because God has promised it to us and we take hold of that hope through faith in Christ. Because Christ has paid the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He has reconciled our broken relationship with God. And that relationship with God will be fully restored in the new creation, which he will remake for his people, those who have faith in him. This new creation won't be a boring, sitting on the clouds, playing harps kind of deal. It will be a perfect, remade world, back the way it was meant to be, where we will live in relationship with God, serving and worshipping him with all the gifts he has given us, without the constraints of sin. He will restore us, give us rest. We will find total peace and comfort in him. It will be God's place where God rules and lives in perfect relationship with God's people. And that's an eternity which is worth looking forward to now, which is worth placing our hope on and setting our eyes upon. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that we could come here this morning and and read your word and spend some time talking about what it is and what your new creation is going to be like, Lord. Lord, we we pray that you'll make this, this reality feel real in our hearts, that you'll motivate us and guide us and grow us as we, as we look forward to complete recreation in your new creation, where we'll find rest and restoration with you. Lord, please be with us as we go through our weeks. Keep on changing us and guiding us and shaping us in the light of what you've done and of what you've designed us to live with you like. In your name, amen. Thanks, Daniel. Let's stand and let's continue to worship with When I Survey.